Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Glory to God. Go with me, if you will, to Haggai. Haggai chapter 1. I was going to continue off of what we were ministering last week in regards to Gideon and being the man, being the person. Amen? Not just looking for what God wants to do, but who God wants to do it through. And I pray that that message encouraged you and challenged you as well. That rather than just crying out to God for revival, that we be the ones that he uses to instigate and be the catalyst for revival. Amen. He gave me these two words this week, and so maybe we'll get to it next week. But he said, God wants to do the unusual through the unlikely. That's what he gave me. You, we want to see the unusual done through the unlikely. And Really, you know, that statement summarizes the Bible as a whole. God using the unlikeliest to perform the most unusual. If you look through the Word of God, you know, Abraham was unlikely to be a father of many nations. David was unlikely to be a ruler and a king over God's people. Paul, Saul was uh, unlikely to be the one to start and Uh, instigate and be the catalyst for the church that we experience today. But God is using the unlikeliest of sources to do the most unusual of manifestations in these last days. And so, you know, I believe that that just sets us up for where God wants to go. Um, Crying out for revival and being the people that God wants to use Uh, Let's not write anything off. Let's not write anyone off. But let's just watch God work through whoever will yield themselves. And that might mean you. Don't write yourself off. You know, sometimes so much of the delay in the church is because we're looking for someone else to respond to the word God's given to us. But let's just be responsive. Amen? Let's just be responsive to what God wants to do. But that'll be a message for another day. If you would, go with me to Haggai chapter 1, and maybe you're already there. And um, this is what the Lord was showing me, and I pray that I can articulate this and share this. Starting with... um, Uh, let's start with verse 2, Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. I'll start here, and then I'll give you kind of a background of where we're at. The Lord of armies says this. These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. To give you a little backdrop, uh, God's people, which started 
I'm going to run you back to Egypt. You remember him being, you remember Israel being in Egypt. Enslaved to the Egyptians, right? Given over to another nation, just as God promised through Abraham. Enslaved by that nation. Eventually a deliverer, Moses, shows up. Moses delivers them out of over 400 years of slavery. Brings them not into the promised land, but out of Egypt through the wilderness. The wilderness was necessary to eliminate Egypt. Okay? We got to go through the wilderness because the problem is, is if we don't, then you'll take Egypt into the promised land. And so for 40 years they wandered until those that could not uh, release themselves of a slavery mentality and, and could not be freed internally just as much as God had freed them externally. They died off in the wilderness. The new generation rose up. Joshua takes this generation into the promised land, and they're enjoying the benefits, and they're enjoying the blessings of the promised land, but eventually they fall away. Eventually they turn their hearts away from God, and they turn their hearts to the idols of the land, the people of the land, the cultures of the land, the value of the land. They did the opposite of what Romans 12 tells us. They conformed their lives to the pattern of the world. They conformed their lives to what was around them rather than transforming what was around them by the power of God within them. They eventually say, we don't want these judges anymore. We want to be like the other nations and the other territories. We want a king. And so God grants them their wish. And they get a man-made king. And out of all these kings, over 40 kings, very few were righteous. Very few chose the way of God. Very few actually chose to commit themselves submitted to God as they were ruling over God's people. Eventually, this led to evil and idolatry and more falling away from the plan and purpose of God. Even though they had a king, even though they had this ruler, they still were not led to follow the things of God. After a, a season, after time, they end up being overthrown again by their enemies. King Nebuchadnezzar rises up against them. The great empire of Babylon comes in and takes God's people captive, burns up their cities, destroys Jerusalem, uh, destroys their temples, destroys their palaces, destroys their homeland, and takes them captive. For 70 years, they end up in captivity once again. Now, at this point, they have been released and are able to go back to the homeland, able to go back to their territory. But it's not like it was before. It's destroyed. It's broken. It's in, it's in pieces. It's, it's just rubble. It's, just, it, it's, it's been torn apart. But they've been allowed to go back. And now, after 16 years, we have the prophet Haggai. After 16 years of being in this land, being in this territory. And God is addressing an issue here. He says, these people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. When they came out of this slavery and they were allowed to go back and allowed to return to their homeland, in essence, their priorities are out of whack. In essence, God is addressing their priorities and he's saying, you have found time to take care of your house. 
You have found time to plant. You have found time to harvest. You have found time to build yourself all these great things. But my house still lies in ruins. My house is left untaken care of. My, my house is left a disaster. And when we're talking about revival, we have to understand where revival starts. We have to understand where this move of God that we're believing God for in these last days, we have to get our priorities in alignment. And I want to give you four things today that I believe are found in these two chapters, just two chapters of Haggai. Four things that I believe will steer us in the path of revival. In essence, the question is, are we building our kingdom or are we building God's kingdom? Are we building our house or are we going to get busy about the Father's business? Are we more involved with making our programs look good, our systems look good, our plans work out? Or are we going to get busy about what God's plan is in the earth today? And I believe after what we saw last year and what we have seen, uh, you know, specifically in America, in this country, and, and things that we're even seeing globally take place right now, you'll find a lot of relevancy. You'll find a lot of things that you'll say, that's happening right now. This is taking place again. And if we don't get our priorities right, we will be doomed to repeat what others have done will be doomed to do exactly as others did and then wonder why we're not getting better or different results. But I believe the outcome that we're going to see in the days, months, and years ahead of us, I believe we're at a point right now. I'm speaking spiritually right now. I believe we are at a point as a church where we have to get these things right. And it's time that we quit missing the mark. And it's time that we quit devaluing things that God has a high value for. The world and the church, there ought to be some distinction. Do I have anybody with me today? There should be a distinguishing factor, a distinguishing component about the people that are in this room versus those that are still lost, those that don't know Jesus. There should be a difference. And in essence, God is saying, you're taking care of all your stuff while my stuff is left undone, while the things I care about are untouched. Why is my stuff in ruins? And then you want me to bless all the things you're putting your. Isn't it amazing how we want to, we want God to prioritize us while we prioritize us. If I'm so busy, busy, uh, uh, meeting my own needs, I never leave room for God to meet my needs. If I'm so busy meeting my own expectations, I'm not leaving room for God to exceed my expectations. I don't know about you, but I want God to be a part of my equation in these last days. I want him to be the equation in the last days. And God, you just tell me where you need me. God, you tell me where to place me. And it's time that we come out of comfort zones. It's time that we take on things that we've been resisting and pushing off for years to this point. I mean, I, just this past week, you know, God knows what he's doing. And I probably, you know, uh, since all this hit, 
uh, this has been the week I have received the most amount, the greatest amount of reports to sickness and who's it affecting and who's possibly been around someone that's been contaminated and who tested positive and who tested negative, but it's still all this stuff and all of it this week. I lost count. I was still fielding uh, texts last night. And then this morning I was texting back out, following up with people that I knew were, were recovering or have been experiencing symptoms. But even last night at, at 9.15, I'm getting new reports. And I look back on this week, and, you know, for me, I'm one of those people where, you know, nine things can go right and one thing be wrong, and I'll focus on the one thing. Anybody else like that? Everyone else, y'all can come down to the altar later and repent for lying. I know I'm not the only one. But I was thinking this morning, I've gotten so many testimonies this week. Awesome reports this week. Man, you know, your life is what you choose to focus on. And that's not even a scripture. I don't even have a a name with numbers behind it to give you. That's just a life principle. Your life is what you choose to focus on. Our lives right now are what, have you noticed that the media has us running from one thing to the next? We can't catch a break. There's no room to breathe. You're, You're just recovering from the last one before they come up with something else to throw at your face, to be worried about and to be anxious about and to be concerned about. But his word keeps us in peace. His word keeps us. His word guards us. His word protects us from all those things that want to come and attack us. And I've gotten some great reports this week. And coffee shops, and just conversations here and there, people texting me, people calling me. Uh, Craig had several awesome testimonies for me Wednesday night after service. I mean, just incredible things are taking place. But it's what we choose to focus on. It's what we choose to think on. And one of those, I was, I was talking with an individual at, at, at Good Coffee. I'm there almost every single morning. Chris, Chris's son, uh, is co-owner, helps run it. And, and, I mean, it's just it's the best place in town to be. It's, it's better than Starbucks and better than, I'm just giving my little, I, I've, I spent enough money there. Maybe I'll see a little kick in my bank account from um, throwing this out there. But anyways, you know. I saw uh, Cody and Lauren Hickox there one morning, and she was just sharing with me about her, her business and what she's doing. And she told me like two or three different words over the last year that I've ministered that spoke directly to where she was at and were literal prompting markers for her to take steps with her business. Confirmation that she was doing the right thing or, hey, I was afraid to do this, and one of those was, you know, I had been ministering on God will use what you have. It starts with the little. Y'all remember those messages? Yeah. It starts with what you have. So many times we're waiting for the great thing, the big thing, the magnificent thing, and God wants to get you started right where you're at. Many of you have testimonies like that. Well, these are the days where we've got to start doing that. I said all that to say this. These are the days where we've got to start stepping out with what we have. It's time to stop waiting. 
the, the days of, of relinquishing and holding back and I don't have enough, man, those days are over. Those days are gone. It's time for the church to rise with what we have. We've got more than the world has, even if it looks like you got far less. When you've got a word from God, that's all you need. It doesn't matter if you're stepping out on water. It doesn't matter if you're going into unknown territory. It doesn't matter if I've never done this before. Your education isn't going to matter anymore. The amount in the bank account's not going to matter. Come on, somebody better grab a hold of this right now. The experience, the supporters aren't going to matter. Some of y'all are going to have to step out, and everybody's going to call you an idiot. Everybody's going to look at you weird, and you're going to have to step out anyways. These are the days we're walking in. These are the days we're stepping into. No more holding back. No more holding back. But for whatever reason, these individuals thought it was more important to do their thing instead of God's thing. It was more important to rebuild our house than instead rebuild God's house. And I believe there's a rebuilding that's coming coming to place that is necessary. But before we get there, we've got to address some things. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. And you'll actually find that phrase, think carefully, multiple times in the next two chapters. Multiple times. The first call that God is calling us to, I'm going to give you four Four steps. The first call, the first step is repentance. Repentance. And the word think carefully, that actually is repentance. Repentance, again, we've talked about this many times, means to change your thinking. Repentance means I've got to address the component in my head, not just in my body, not just in my finances, not just in my life, not just in my behavior, not just in my ways, but I've got to address the component of my mental, and I've got to think differently. When Jesus came and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what he was saying was, you're going to have to think different because what I'm about to present to you is going to look different. And if you don't get your thinking switched around, then you're going to miss what I'm bringing. And the same is true today. What God is bringing today is going to first require the church to come to repentance. Think differently. Come back to him. Come back to his way of doing things. Look at this in verse 6. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be, dis- to, to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Now, this is a word for us. This is a word for us. Because this is a wasteful life. But one of the key indicators that you're not doing it God's way is an extreme dissatisfaction. A a level where you can never have enough. Your supply is never met. You are never satisfied. And this is the key. When we aren't doing it God's way, you do the most, 
and still never meet the supply. When you learn to do it God's way, you can do the smallest of things, and it will meet the need every time. Isn't that incredible? Now, if I put that on a test, if I gave you a choice today, do you want to do a lot and have a little return, or do you want to put in a little and get a great return, which one are you taking? Which one are you choosing? You don't even need to raise your hand. We know the answer to that. But many of us are getting wore out with an extreme level of dissatisfaction. You put your hand to the plow. You work so hard. You sweat and blood and sweat and tears and investment and doing it as hard as you can and going as hard as you can, burning the candle at both ends. You've got no strength left over to do anything else because you're working so hard, yet you're harvesting so little. You're returning so little. And then on the inside, there's just an emptiness. There's just the dissatisfaction of, that doesn't even meet my needs anyways. It's still not enough. As soon as I get what I think is enough, it turns out that that's not enough. They want more. It demands more. And some of you in this room, you've been toiling and you've been working and you've been stressing and you've been thinking and you've been pressing and you've been working so hard for so long with so little to show for it. And that might be an indication that we haven't fully allowed God to be a part of the process. Because last time I checked, his, his word was that we would plant and we would reap much. His word was that he would bring rain when we need rain. He'd bring a dry season when we need a dry season. He would bring the harvest when we need the harvest. That he would make our efforts bountiful and blessed. And some of you are even questioning the blessings of God and the hand of God. And does his word really work? But you haven't involved him in the equation other than to complain to him, cry out to him, and pray to him when it doesn't go your way. And that's not going to work anymore. In these last days, that will not be sufficient. You will burn yourself out. Many of the burdens and the weights and the pressures that we experience in life is simply because God isn't really a part of the process. Not the way he should be. Not the way he ought to be. Ultimately, what God is telling this people is, I'm, I'm not in your plan of priority. I don't have the, the, see, God will, he refuses to take second place. He refuses it. He won't even touch it. He won't go near it. If he's not first place, then he's not in it at all. And the Bible tells us, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And what? All those things that you're toiling for and working for and stressing about and thinking about and staying up all night worried about. He will meet the need. He, he will bring them. It said it will be added to you. You know what that word added means? It means you did not work for it. Does anybody want to see that? I want to see addition. I want to see stuff brought into my life that I didn't work for, stuff that I didn't strive for, stuff that I couldn't have achieved on my own. But the only way I get there is if I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The only way that I can see that take place in my life is if I make him a part of the plan from the beginning. 
I'm telling you right now, there is a spirit of faith that the church is going to have to rise to in these last days. There's a spirit of faith, the faith that pleases him. And it's not going to be an option for us any longer to operate without it. Guys, faith is not God's bailout program. Well, many of us don't even touch faith until we need it. Many of us don't even know the prayer of faith or faith for healing or faith for finances or faith for a miracle or faith for our kids until we're met with a problem. We got to start proactively stepping out in faith, proactively building our faith and growing in faith and developing our faith so that when the problem arises or when the situation comes, we're ready to meet it head on. I mean, a lot of what we're seeing in our world right now, in in our nation, we have more direction given to us about how to avoid something than to overcome something. And the position of avoiding in fear looks far different than overcoming in faith. Y'all hearing me? We're taught how to avoid, but I don't seem the same level of attention given to how to overcome, how to prepare, how to withstand, how to outlast. Is anybody with me? You hear anybody telling you how to take care of your body so that if a virus comes, it can fight it off. I don't hear a lot of that, but I hear a lot about how to avoid it and be afraid of it and become scared of it. Come on, there's two different positions. I'm not telling you to be stupid and inhale something that you shouldn't be, but I am saying that there are things that we're going to be introduced to spiritually, mentally, physically, socially, economically, financially, that you're going to have to learn to proactively prepare yourself for. We have to quit reacting to everything. we got to be in a place where we can respond by faith rather than react in fear. I hope this is okay. I'm just speaking to what we're going to have to see in the church if we're going to get to revival. So this repentance, if we don't come back to him, we're going to toil and be tired. We're going to work and be worn out. Are y'all with me? I know I'm speaking to us. I'm speaking to myself. There's things that I've done that I've tried to produce on my own ability, that I've tried to make happen in my own accord. And I'm, I'm, I'm past the point of working and working and, and, and being burnt out and still not achieving the results I know that God wants for my life. I'm going to hand this thing over and say, God, you play your part. And you just let me know where you need me. He goes on to say in verse 7, The Lord of armies says this, think carefully. There it is again. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord, because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew, and the land, its crops. We got farmers in this room right now, and I know you've experienced this on the most real level. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, whatever the ground yields on people and animals and all, and on all that your hands produce. God is calling for a priority of his things. I've been ministering the last 
two Wednesday nights on weariness and overcoming weariness. And how we need a church in these last days that is at full strength. We need a church that is not so wore out that we can't even take on the battles we should be fighting. And when's the last time you asked the Lord which battles you should fight and which ones you shouldn't? You know David would do that? He didn't just take on every battle and every enemy that came after him. He would go before the Lord and he'd say, Lord, now is this a battle we should be fighting? And then he would even ask them how we ought to fight it. Because sometimes we're doing things the way we did yesterday, and God's calling for a new way. God's wanting to do a new thing. And we're still hung up on how it was done before. We're just trying to copycat and mimic. No, we got to do better than that. We've got to involve the Lord. I was listening to a minister just recently. He says, now is the day for the church to be spending copious amounts of time in the spirit. That's a lot of time. Well, pastor, I just don't have that kind of time. Yeah, you do. Everybody's got the same amount of time. Everybody's got 24 hours. Nobody on the face of this planet has ever been given more or been given less. Not since the beginning of time. You can't look back and say, well, David had more time. Do you have more distractions? Sure. <laughs> Do you have more things vying for your attention? Absolutely. Which means we're going to have to be the more resilient ones that determine what demands our time and what doesn't. But if God is not a part of your equation, if God, how can God be a part of your equation? I'll give you one way, time. It's very difficult to say God is a part of your equation or he's a part of your plan or he's involved in your process if you don't literally make the time. Let's apply that to your spouse. Let's apply that to your marriage. I'll give you something tangible. Can't tell me that your wife is of value to you and that you care about her and you care about your marriage and you're investing in it, but no time is literally given to it. Whatever you give your time to is what you value. Whatever you give your time to is what you value. What you invest in is what you value. That's where our values are. Y'all are looking at me like a, I hope it's coming through. He says, think carefully about your ways. That means take a look. Take inventory. I mean, when's the last time you sat down and really took inventory of your hours, of your time? What is being done with it? I've learned that if I don't do something with my time, someone else will. <laughs> Have you realized that? If I don't value my time, someone else will value it for me. Yeah. Some of you are spending your time on somebody else's values because they've sucked you into theirs. We all are responsible for what we do with the time we're given. The time we're given. We doing good in children's? Okay. I've instructed them that if we are running tight in our classrooms, we've got a lot of people out. 
think probably half the team called out, and I appreciate everyone that stepped up and, and is serving, but if they come to me and say, hey, we need more help, I hope that we've got people in this room that will step up and go into a classroom, but I think we're doing okay. God is calling for a priority of his things. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the high priest, Joshua, and the entire remnant. Do you see that? The entire remnant. What's the remnant? Those that were left behind. Those that were left after the destruction, after everything took place. See, see, we're, we're, we're coming to a place where there's going to be a remnant of God's people left behind. And y'all need to listen to me, and y'all need to be careful how you hear this, because I'm not excluding anybody. But what I am saying is that having the label of Christian and even going through the formality of attending church and and, and saying a prayer one day is not what's going to get us into the remnant. The remnant are going to be those that are going to be hard fighting and hard pressing for the things of God in the last days and will not be swayed one way or the other. There's going to be a distinguishing, not just from the church in the world, but from the remnant and those that are casually doing Christianity. We're talking about another layer. And this is a remnant, and it says the entire remnant, along with their leader Zerubbabel and the high priest Joshua, here it is, obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, so the people feared the Lord. The New King James says the people feared the presence of the Lord. Not feared as in afraid, not feared as in oh no, feared as in reverenced, fear as in a draw to, fear as in a hunger for, fear as in an attraction. I cannot go without it. The fear of the Lord says I cannot be without the presence of God. It's like David said, if I go down to the pits of hell, I better make sure that, the God, that God's spirit is with me. I don't want to be anywhere without his spirit. That's repentance. That's true repentance. Not bawling and squalling at an altar, but truly handing your life over to the purposes and the priorities of God. Guys, our businesses depend on this. Our marriages depend on this. Our families depend on this. Our cities depend on this. This region depends on this. Our state depends on this. Our country and our world. The entire remnant obeyed the Lord. And Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. And this is what he said. I am with you. I am with you. What did he say? I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Well, why is he saying I am with you? It's not that all of a sudden he showed back up in their lives as a form of repentance. Now they have a renewed awareness. God is with me. God is for me. God is in me. God is empowering me. God is strengthening me. God is equipping me for the work that's at hand. So repentance is key. It starts with repentance. Repentance is a realigning of values, a reprioritizing of what God prioritizes. Number two, number two is a refresh. As a result of repentance, it says in verse 14, 
the Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel. Says the Lord roused the spirit of the high priest, Joshua. And the Lord roused the spirit of all the remnant of the people. What we need in these last days, and you've been hearing me talk about it, we need a refreshing of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God. And I believe there is a refreshing coming. For too long, the the church has left out, abandoned, neglected, avoided, refused to highlight the Spirit of God. For too long, the Holy Spirit's been on the back burner. For too long, the Holy Spirit has been the topic no one wants to talk about. For for too long, the Holy Spirit has been the the redheaded stepchild that we drag along to church and say, oh yeah, we want the Spirit of God, but we don't yield to Him. We don't follow Him. We don't let Him guide us and lead us and teach us and direct us. We're reading the Bible without the Holy Spirit. We're worshiping and singing without the Holy Spirit. We're praying without the Holy Spirit. We're teaching without the Holy Spirit. We're receiving without the Holy Spirit. And those days have to go. I need him in my prayer. I need him in my praise. I need him in my worship. I need him as I'm preaching. You need him as I'm preaching. You need him to hear. I need him to speak. We need him to pray, not just in English, but in an unknown tongue when he prays beyond our knowledge. I need him in my life to lead me and guide me. I need the fruits of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm making it known bolder than I have ever have. This is a Spirit-filled church, Spirit-led church, Spirit-ruled church. And we are yielding to him. That doesn't mean we're crazy, kooky, weird, and confusing. That means that we follow the spirit of God because what we're doing is beyond our natural ability. It's beyond our natural comprehension. I'm not that smart. You're not that smart. So we have the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. And when the days where the truth is becoming tainted and watered down and confused more than ever, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit to get us into truth? I need discernment. I need working of miracles. I need a gift of faith. I need gifts of interpretation, tongues and interpretation. I need words of wisdom and words of knowledge. I need the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit. And we've watched churches for too long try to do it without the Holy Spirit. And it could be argued that it's produced the weakest bunch of Christians this world has ever seen. But if we'll become roused by the Spirit, like Zerubbabel, roused by the Spirit, like Joshua, roused by the Spirit, like the entire remnant, of not just for one, not just for leaders, not just for a few, not just for a few hands selected. The entire remnant was roused by the Spirit. We need an arousing of the Spirit today. I need an arousing of the Spirit on the inside of me that will quicken even my mortal body. It'll strengthen even my bones. It'll strengthen my muscles. It'll strengthen my speech. It'll strengthen my clarity of mind. It'll strengthen my immune system. It'll strengthen my physical state. He says, renewed by the inner man. Quickened. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. 
And if you haven't gotten the picture yet that what we're warring against is far greater than what you see externally, far greater than what you're reading on the news, far greater than what's being proposed to you on Instagram and Facebook, far greater than what's being commented on and shared and posted, it's far greater than that. We are at a spiritual war. We are at a spiritual climax where the enemy is spiritually attacking greater than he ever has. And we're still over here warring as flesh and blood. We're still over here warring with natural ability. Those days are over. Because the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in the tearing down of strongholds. They are mighty in the bringing down of principalities and powers and might and dominion. And how do you fight an enemy you can't see? With the Holy Spirit. far greater than flesh and blood. We need a refreshing. Once I have repented and I've submitted my ways to God, to his standard, to his ways, to his values, quit twisting his word. Quit manipulating it to align with your life and say, I am sick and tired of the life that I'm living that doesn't align with his values. I'm going to do it his way. Then a refreshing of his spirit comes over you. Why? Next sentence. They began work on the house of the Lord. Step three is a rebuild. We've got repentance. We've got refreshing. And now there's a rebuild. We've got to get busy about rebuilding what has been torn down. Quit looking at the ruins and calling it ruins. Quit looking at the dead bones and calling it dead bones. Start speaking life into what is dead today. We're seeing ruins all around us. We're seeing destruction all around us. We're seeing it tangibly, physically. We're seeing it spiritually. There there are ruins of morality all around us. Our morals are in ruins today. We call right, left, and left, right. We call up, down, and we call down, up. It's backwards. Those are called ruins. But God is looking to the church and he's saying, will you rebuild it? Will you restructure what the world has torn down? Will you build back What the world has left in ruins and left in a heap of ashes? Will you give priority? Will you rebuild? Who will rebuild my temple? Who will rebuild my plan? Who will rebuild my system? Who will put their hand to the plow, not looking back? A repented uh, soul, a refreshed spirit, and now a rebuilding attitude. It's up to the church to rebuild. Your schools are not going to rebuild. Our government is not going to rebuild. Come on, we're leaving the rebuilding to the wrong people. It's up to the church to rebuild these things. It's up to the church to start rebuilding. 
It's up to the church to stop looking at the ruins and calling people out and pointing fingers and who's going to do it right and who's not going to do it wrong and who's missing that and who's missing this. It's time for the church to get together and say, we're going to rebuild this thing. Cities are going to be rebuilt. Schools are going to be rebuilt. Morals are going to be rebuilt. Governments are going to be rebuilt. Business is going to be rebuilt. Doing things on God's word is going to be rebuilt once again. And it takes us. It says they began the work. It says they began the work of the Lord. Go to chapter 2. Verse 1, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, and to the remnant of the people. Here it is. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? And how does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing by comparison? So here's the danger that will arise if we begin to rebuild, if we begin to expect and experience revival in these last days. Last week, I spoke to our younger generation. I gave them a charge, gave them a challenge, all those that were under 30. But now I want to speak to those that are older, wiser. You've experienced some things. You've seen some things. You've seen moves of God. If you're in this room, you know who I'm talking to. You know who I'm talking about. You've seen things. Maybe you've been a part of revivals. Maybe you've been a part of services and manifestations, signs and wonders. Maybe it was done in a tent. Maybe it was done in a church. Maybe it was done on a sidewalk. Maybe it was here. Maybe it was abroad. And what can happen is we can try to compare what God is doing today with what he did yesterday, with what it used to look like. And typically, whatever we compare something to, we try to copy try to mimic. We try to make it happen again. And the danger in that is that God is doing a new thing. See, God doesn't have patterns and templates and formulas. We do. It can be easy to say, well, we sang this song and we invited this preacher and we did this on this night and we held it at this time and we had this many people and and we can start formulating in our minds and in our heads all these ideas of what it's going to take to get God to move on our behalf. Well, I would beg the question, is revival a man-made thing or a God thing? Did we institute revival or is that God? I think that's God. I think that's God moving on behalf of his people. I think that's God demonstrating himself in a strong way. But the role that we play is expectation. 
The role that we play is that we've got to put, in our, put ourselves in a place where God can move on our behalf, and we want to see him move. But are we making the mistake of looking at what it used to look like? Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? What he's asking is, before the destruction, before your enemies came in and tore everything apart, before all the mess that we see it to be today, who among us remembers the good old days? Remembers what this temple used to look like. Remember what it used to stand for. Remember the, 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 the moments and the events and the wonderful times we had together. And how does this, what we see today, look, what I'm saying is what God is rebuilding today, it might not have a, a resemblance to what it used to be. It might look different. It might sound different. It might be different people, a different type of people. Come on. Sometimes our expectations become God's limitations. Sometimes our expectations are the boxes we put him in that says if we do this, this, and this, then he will do this, and that's not the God I serve. That's not the God that I follow. God knows how to meet you right where you're at. And what we're believing God for, what we believe he's moving us toward, and what we're going to see take place is going to require us to take our eyes off of what it used to be, the good old days, and start opening our eyes to what God wants to do today. Who's left among you? Who saw this house in its former glory? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Seem to you like nothing by comparison. Even so, be strong. Zerubbabel, this is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. What is he saying? Regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what it feels like, regardless of what it sounds like, regardless of who God uses. See, nobody expected Gideon to be the one to lead an army of 300 against the battlefield of, a, of over 100,000 enemies. No one expected David to be the one. No one expected Abraham to be the one. No one expected Noah to be the one. No one expected Saul to be the one. When Saul was converted to Paul, you know how many Christians were afraid to welcome him into their homes and churches? That's the guy that was killing Christians. Now he's making Christians? Come on. But who's God going to use in these last days? Who is God going to raise up in these last days? How's it going to look? What's it going to sound like? What's it going to feel like? We've got to take the limitations off because there's something coming. He says, this is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of armies says this. Once more, in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations. I believe there's a shaking happening. There's a shaking happening. It's going to be very important for us in these last days to discern 
what might look like evil and what might, what might look like the enemy doing something might be God doing something. We need discernment. He says, I will shake all the nations. Why? So that the treasures, <laughs> so that the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. The silver and gold belong to me. The final glory of this house, here it is, will be greater than the first. He says the latter house will be greater than the former house. If we keep comparing it to what it was, then we'll never see what it could be. But God is saying in these last days, what I'm raising up, what I'm doing is going to be far greater. It's going to far surpass anything you thought it could be. Worship team, if you'd come. Guys, our best days are ahead of us. I said our best days are ahead of us. Will we endure the shaking? Will we endure the pressing? Will we endure the challenge? Will we endure? Will we persevere? Will we stay the course? Will we hold the line? Will we remain in the fight? Will we outlast and withhold? Occupy till I come, he said. This is the call to the church today. This is the call to us today, believers today. This is the challenge I'm giving you today. Because there is a shaking. But it says that the shaking will reveal the treasures. And the glory of this latter temple will be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give peace. Brings us to the last step, revival. That's revival. Revival is when the glory that we experience exceeds what we have experienced. Revival shows up when it's a greater measure, a greater deposit, a greater dispensation. Oh, we're moving into those days, guys. We're moving into those days, people, where what we are about to experience is going to far surpass anything we've seen God do to this point. You haven't seen it yet. You haven't experienced it yet. We haven't experienced it yet, but what God is about to do in this world, it's unprecedented. But it's the repentant church, the refreshed church, and the rebuilding church that will be a part of the revival in these last days. Are we going to see revival? Are we going to see revival in these last days? Are we going to see God move in these last days? That we've got some steps to do. We've got some prerequisites to take care of. God is not going to just do what he wants to do. He's looking for man like you and I, men and women, to respond to him. Lastly, I want to take you to the end of Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. He goes on to say, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the second time. 
on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. What we're seeing today is a result of the shaking. It's a result of the shaking. There's a shaking taking place. The shaking is designed to reveal those who will outlast. The shaking is designed to reveal those treasures. The shaking is designed that you and I rise to the top. We're seeing a shaking in our world. He says, on that day, this is the declaration of the Lord. I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, and make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you. In the Old Testament, Zerubbabel is a type and shadow of the church. And I believe this is what the Lord is saying to the church today. In that day, in that day, I will make you my people. In that day, you will rise. In that day, you will be revealed. In that day, you will be the ones to usher in my glory, to usher in my presence, to usher in the greatest move this world has ever seen. You know, the enemy wants to wear us out with that. I've been following God 38 years. And for about 38 years, I've been hearing about the end times. I've been hearing about the last day revival. I've been hearing about God wanting to pour out his spirit on all flesh. I believe today we're closer than we've ever been. I believe today we're seeing things fall into place. The writing is on the wall. Things are transpiring. Things are happening, but it is to your encouragement. It's to your fulfillment. It's to your calling and to your divine purpose that we stay the course. Don't get wore out. Don't get wore out thinking, well, I've been hearing about this revival. I've been hearing about this move. All I see is destruction. Oh, that's just the shaking. Oh, that's just the the moving around so that we can see the glory of God on display. I believe everything we're hearing about, reading about, seeing transpire is simply setting a stage for what God's going to do. Would you stand with me? I pray that I have articulated this as well as the Holy Spirit would have me. But we've got to walk out of here different than when we came in. We've got to be a people. Look, I understand. I talked to a room full of different backgrounds, different beliefs. Maybe you don't believe half of what I said. Maybe I hit on things that just don't agree with you. I got a room full of of all kinds of different things. Experiences. But at the end of the day, what I do know is it's the church 
that's going to rule and reign in these last days. And the days of he's on the throne and God's in control and the church sitting idly by with their hands in their pockets, watching and praying and hoping that Jesus will come back quickly and save us all. That's not this church. That's not what we're about. That's not the culture we set. We're here to play a part. We're here to participate. We're here to hear from God. We're here to follow the leading of the Spirit. We're here to believe the Word of God as a whole, everything that's in it, nothing left out. We're here to walk in the divine things, and there are purposeful things that are taking place in our world. I'm not a big eschatology guy. I don't, I don't know all the, the meanings and the signs, and this can be that, and that can be this, and, and mark of the beast, and da-da-da-da. What I do know is the hope is that the church is going to usher in the reigning king. That's what I know. I don't need to preach doom and gloom and scare you half to death to get you to move. I can tell you that we are going to see the revealed glory of the Lord. We are going to be the ones that he's coming back for. We are going to be the ones that are going to push back darkness as long as we can. That's who we're going to be. So would you just lift your hands to heaven with me? Just commit yourselves. Father, we commit ourselves to repentance. We commit ourselves to be the repentant church, to reprioritize and align ourselves with your purpose, with your values, with your standards. We commit ourselves right now. We commit ourselves to a refreshing of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. Our systems and our programs, our rituals and religion, it's not good enough anymore. It's not changing anybody's life. It's not bringing your kingdom to earth. We need your spirit. We need a refreshing of your spirit. We need a hunger for your spirit. We need an attraction to your spirit. Not a fear and a confusion, but a desire and a hunger and a draw to your spirit. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.